knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow 777 Radio. This is episode 415, 415. Jason Lingren is with me and Dr. Nathan Riley, who is a, I'm going to say holistic OBGYN, but maybe he'll correct me with the word holistic, but I think people get where I'm going with this. Um, let's just jump in. Welcome, Jason. And good morning. Anything going? Or are we ready to rip? Rip it. All right. Welcome, Nathan. My pleasure, guys, to be here. Thank you so much for having me. It's, a, it's really an honor. I've been listening to your show for a while, and uh, it's, uh, I'm fanboying here a little bit, as I mentioned in our, in our pre-recording call. So. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a bit of an irony, and you know, I, I call this the age of fake internet fame, um, but I guess <laughs> if you want to be honest, all fame is pretty much fake, pretty fake. <laughs> um, with, with very few exceptions. Very few sure. people are actually doing things that garner you know, being a hero that I know of anyhow. But what's strange about it is when you do what we're doing and you just try to bring common sense and honesty back to the table, it's pretty popular right now. People are sick of sludging in the in the goo. What's something I tell everybody is that when I meet somebody that shows up authentically, it gives me permission to be my authentic self. And that's how real connection happens. You know, So when we're actually speaking our own truth, when we're standing in our truth and we're practicing what we preach, it, it attracts other people like that and our, our relationships get just get deeper. So I definitely resonate with that. All right. So let's jump in here. Dr. Riley, maybe I should say. Uh, oh, just call to, me Nathan. <laughs> okay. Tell, tell folks, let, let's, let's jump in and, and give a little bit of your background. Uh, if you have contact information you want to give out, and I'm going to warn you, this is our one. It goes out to the entire world for free. If you give out an email address, it is possible that you will be pummeled beyond belief. Um, if you have a website, maybe that's better for our one, but it's entirely up to you. My website is really kind of the the, the base camp for everything I do. It's belovedholistics.com. You can contact me directly through the website uh, without even giving out my email. Um, you'll, it'll come straight to me. So, Okay. And so just give a little background about where you've come from and what you do. Yeah. Well, I grew up in the system. You know, I was, I was the, the kid who got all the high scores on the tests. And as you guys know, you get rewarded in middle school with high school and with high school, you get rewarded with college, with college. If you do well there, you rise to the top, you answer the questions on the test in the right way. The examiner's asking you get into med school, same goes all the way up through the extent of medical training. I did four years of residency in in LA at Kaiser in OBGYN and um, very early on found that I was not very happy with what I was seeing, became very disillusioned with my entire educational process very left brain um, versus right brain. And I'm a very creative, I paint, I like to think outside the box and that's not necessarily rewarded. So it's been a bit of a struggle along that journey for me. I also decided to do an extra year and whip myself even further. And I did a fellowship at UC San Diego in hospice and palliative care. And that I brought those principles of communication and patient-centered care into my OBGYN practice, realized I couldn't do that in the system, stepped out of the system entirely. And now I, uh, I do a lot of lifestyle medicine in order to reduce pregnancy and postpartum complications. I still take care of people at the end of life, but I, I bring a deeply spiritual practice to both of these things and personal responsibilities at the, at the front and center for me. Um, I, I prefer quality over quantity. I don't work with insurance models. I don't, work with, I don't have federal and state regulatory bodies telling me what I do. I, I work entirely through private um, associations, and that lets me provide the uh, education and the counseling to my clients to inspire personal responsibility in pregnancy, childbirth, and beyond. So what I always tell people is being as healthy as possible is going to give you 
full permission to exercise your autonomy in childbirth. In other words, if you're not taking care of the soil, then naturally pregnancy complications arise, and then you can risk out of midwifery care, as they say. You're going to be, quote, forced to have a hospital-based birth because of you know, your placenta's kicking out, your baby's not growing well, you've got raging diabetes, you've got raging hypertension in your pregnancy. That makes it very hard to have a, quote, safe home birth. So we get the soil ready, we make you as healthy as possible, and then once you've assumed that responsibility over the health of you and your baby, you can then exercise your autonomy left and right, knowing that you're probably doing the right thing in having a home birth, or at least if, if that's in alignment with you, not having a hospital birth. Um, and your midwife is going to feel much more, more comfortable caring for you, knowing that, hey, this is a healthy person. This is a natural process. You're not sick. You're just having a baby. So that's, that's really it. I help p- people avoid the system if that's desired and have their dream birth. So um, at the heart of my practice has grown significantly over the past couple of years, because what we've seen is a, uh, an abrupt 90 degree shift from what we used to consider the holy grail of medicine medical bioethics, but nowadays giving a person the full complement of counseling and you know risks, benefits, alternatives, et cetera, that's a part of, of shared decision-making. That's, that's necessary for them to make an informed decision. And what we've seen with vaccines and whatnot is that if I make a person hesitant to take an intervention, including a vaccine, that's actually grounds now for me to be stripped of my license, to do the thing that I spent all of those years investing time, money, um, compromising on how my lifestyle was looking in college. I wasn't out drinking every night. I was in the in the library taking 21 credits every year and and really, really maximizing my potential as a doctor in, in, in the future. So I see it as I've got the skills, you've got the need. Let's work privately together to make this work. Forget about what the state or the federal or the hospital level policies and procedures say. It's my job to give you information and support you in your decision-making but nowadays, we really can't do that if we're in the system. So the last thing I'll add is that truly holistic OBGYN care is not just natural remedies. It's also taking into account the more subtle energetics of birth, pregnancy, the relationship transformations that happen after birth. Uh, and that goes all the way through a person's life until death. And, um, and that requires us to do more than what Rene Descartes asked us to do, which was to look at the body as the sum of parts. Requires us to look at the more subtle energetic bodies, the etheric, the astral, look into the spirit and what is the message from spirit as it pertains to this pregnancy and your ideal birth. That's what I do. How does Rockefeller Medicine sell a pill to spirituality? <laughs> well, I was gonna I was gonna inject there, Jason. I don't know if you remember back, but we covered when in my lifetime healthcare became privatized, if I remember correctly, and I might be wrong, but I'm in the ballpark. It was Nixon under President Nixon, one of his buddies um, was given the go-ahead to begin to privatize medicine and wait for it. It was Kaiser Permanente. Does that mm-hmm. sound like maybe a permanent condition? <laughs> Kaiser Permanente. And as I was listening to you, the two main points that occurred to me is a move away from chemical medicine, which many people are becoming fed up with. And the other thing is the idea of a practice. Um, what we've learned during the course of this is almost no doctors are practicing anything. They're being directed by uh, the administration and by the rules and regulations of the mainstream system, which controls all the way, as you mentioned, down to the licensing. And it occurs to me, uh, I had talked to a Chinese medical man who was still doing the Chinese method. And back in the day, there was no idea of licensing. You, You were taught 
you got to a level you practiced and hopefully became a master. Um, I think that's the main difference. What I'm hearing from you is kind of trying to shift away from chemical medicine, but I, I heard you, your feet are to the fire, right? If you say the wrong words, uh, they're coming for you, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. I actually lost my job uh, last year. My, it was like kind of the universe giving me a nudge. I should be sending them flowers and fruit baskets really for firing me. But I, I think I even mentioned this before in our, in our first call, but for a person to have an open mind in medicine is pretty rare. And I'll explain that in a second, but I lost my job because I was caring for a dying man at the end of life. I took my mask off because he hadn't seen a face for 18 months. He's in a nursing home, has no, hasn't seen or been touched by anybody because of the fear of this, this, this bad guy that's floating around out to get us. And, you know, they used to say pneumonia is an old man's best friend. And nowadays it's like, if this man gets COVID, it's on you. And, uh, that doesn't, for me, that does not, that shouldn't be prioritized over the fact that if this person's going to be stepping through the portal, they deserve love and compassion to be their final touches or final words or whispers. So I took my mask off, rubbed hand, lotion on his hands and feet, trimmed his toenails, like sat with him, got my heart as close as I possibly could to him, heart to heart, heart math. I mean, we, this is, this is not rocket science. It's just basic human decency. And somebody turned me in, I lost my job and I didn't look back. I think that the reason that that is so rare that a doctor just does what they think is right is, is actually, I live in Kentucky. So in the Kentucky Derby, the winning horse is the horse that is focused on the path ahead, stays in between the lines, does not look left and right at the other horses, doesn't look at the grandstands at Churchill Downs, is going forward based on the rules of the game. And if you consider how doctors are even trained, or actually how kids are trained, we want kids to play with the toys in this way. We don't want you to play with that. We want you to use the red marker, not the, the blue marker. We want you to color between the lines. We want you to do things the way that the system expects you to do them. So we're all conditioned from a very early age to follow the rules. Sit in your desk, face forward. Do not talk to your neighbors. Raise your hand to go to the bathroom. And that becomes more and more evidence how that incentive structure is in place when you look at the end of medical training. So on one hand, we do need policies and procedures if we want somebody to be able to operate on the brain, right? Like you're inside the brain. You don't want to grab the wrong vessel or something. You can't just call yourself a neurosurgeon. So there is some, some room for that. The issue is that that's a very left brain uh, incentivized, incentivization structure. If I were to say, well, wait a second, you're telling me to do it this way, but what about this other way? What about this other context? Could we reformulate the policies and individualize it for this other person. No doctors have been incentivized for thinking outside the lines because like I said, if you go to Harvard, let's say, that's considered one of the best medical programs in the world. You got there because you showed that you were better at staying in the lines or, or answering more test questions correctly than your peers. That's how you got to Harvard. So when we uphold the, these high pedigree holders, and I'm one of those people, don't get me wrong. I mean, I've been, I've been at the highest level of educational achievement in, in many regards. You look around and you're, up, you're in a room with a bunch of other people who have only been incentivized to answer the question based on the examiner's preference. So when we ask, why are more doctors like this? It's because doctors aren't selected for their ability to think outside the box or to use the right side of their brain. Well, I mean, which, which drug are they going to choose, right? Exactly. Yeah. What's the right answer on the test? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it occurs to me how adjacent to Fahrenheit 451 your account just was simply because compassion is now a grounds for dismissal. 
if you follow where I'm going there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in what world is a person, is a doctor who has all, I have the training, I have the skills. Why do I need some guy in a suit or a woman in a suit sitting in some office somewhere who has no clue about, let's say, viruses, no clue about the immune system, about how the, 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 intricate orchestration of our organ systems, our immune system, our adrenals, how all of those things interrelate, not to mention how important it is that we're actually a part of nature and not, and not defending ourselves from nature at all times. Why would I need somebody to tell me how to do this thing when they have no concept of what, of, of what this care actually looks like? The lack of compassion in healthcare is a product of us, of us incentivizing only those things that can be asked in a five bubble option multiple choice test. And that's what really I think people are, are starting to wake up to is that, oh, lawyers, doctors, any other professionals, they have to have a license and they have to play by the rules in order to be granted permission to do the thing that they invested so much of their time in learning how to do. It's a really, really bad place right now for doctors. I can't even say many people are, are not thoughtful about this. I, th- I think that the golden handcuffs of $500,000 in medical school debt and not having been modeled, how do, can you think for yourself, is really, really hurting our healthcare system in the way that any healthcare professional or individual cares for another human. Because there's not a right way to give birth or to die or anything in between. But, but according to the corporation, there's a right way on how you conduct yourself. And this is case in point. Uh, for yeah. the death-based system that we've talked so much about, right? the corpse oration, the talking dead, it has no concern for the so-called customer, which is a hell of a way to refer to someone who needs <laughs> medical help. Uh, yeah. But the truth of it is, is a corporation is concerned with profit and its decision-making rules and regulations are not based on medical conditions or anything else. And I mean, we don't even need to get in to where the medicine comes from. Jason wrote an episode that showed the majority of the chemical medicine is coming from the petrochemical takeover early in the 1900s. But let's try to get into some things that will benefit some people. I'm seeing in the notes um, what you've said about hormonal contraception. Since I'm an old man, I don't know what those crazy young kids are doing for contraception out there, but I'm guessing Many people are still urged to use what's called the pill, and we have done episodes. Uh, The pill was part and parcel of the social engineering. As the free love generation came in on the tail of the biggest baby boom we'd ever known, called the baby boomers after the war, uh, magically the music said, hey, man, if you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with, and it worked. (laughs) But they knew there was going to be a glut, and so magically the pill shows up in the yep. middle list. So let's talk a little bit about hormonal based contraception. Uh, and in the notes here, it is referred to as a big mistake. <laughs> I think it was a big mistake. I think that well, we have to keep in mind that female hormonal contraception, which is really all that we have right now, there is a, a new birth control pill for men, which is non-hormonal. It's uh, made of a, co- a compound called YCT529. And it effectively blocks the vitamin A receptors in the body, which is extremely important in the testicles for the development of healthy sperm. So by blocking those receptors, we can, uh, we can mitigate how many healthy sperm are swimming. And it's, it's, it's been dubbed 99% effective and there's no side effects. Well, the issue with that is the same issue we have with hormonal contraception in that you can't isolate 
just those receptors in the testicles and say that I'm only impacting healthy sperm. I'm not, there must be no other use for vitamin A anywhere else in the body apart from sperm. So with that in mind, right, this is why synthetic pharmaceuticals don't work because they all have side effects because there's no role in nature for a drug that, that targets and antagonizes vitamin A receptors. So let's jump to heart, female hormonal contraception. The cl- typical story is a young woman develops menarche. They get, they get their first menstrual bleed and it's haywire because the, hy- the hypothalamus pituitary and ovaries are all in the adrenals. They're all trying to figure out this, this orchestration, right? And the, the lunar phases in nature has 13 cycles throughout the year, 13 moons, which tells us that the 12-month calendar is actually wrong. And I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it sure doesn't make any sense when you consider that a woman whose menstruation comes oftentimes in synchronicity with these lunar cycles, that it takes a couple years for, okay, we're being exposed to moonlight, full moonlight, 13 times per year. That actually helps get this pulsatile GnRH and then FSHLH go to the ovaries. The ovaries start responding and you get this delicate ballet, this beautiful orchestration of all of these chemicals circulating through the body. And, um, but instead of that, instead of allowing that, we advertise this as, hey, that bleed is so inconvenient. You don't want to have all of that. Let's just knock out that, that bleeding pattern. Like what a silly, inconvenient thing for a woman to have to go through. That was actually part of some of the early feminist movements. So, and I can understand it from that perspective. So when I speak like this, a lot of people are like, typical, a man would say that. And it's like, well, no, hear me out. Because not only are we disconnecting a woman from nature herself, that dark goddess energy, Gaia, Mother Earth, call it what you will. It's been, it's been, we've been honored, we've, we've worshipped nature, Mother Earth, over millennia. And now we're going to say, you don't need to be a part of nature. It's the similar conversation with, with viruses. We don't need nature. Nature is actually out to get us. So why not cut you off from your nature and let's just control it with this pill? So the first issue is that we're disconnecting women from their natural patterns and the rhythms and cycles of nature. The other issue is that let's say that there is an issue with your period. Let's say that you're, you're not 15. Let's say you're 29, but man, you're having horrible cramping pain or very heavy bleeding, so much so that you have a drop in your H&H and you need you know, iron or blood transfusions, right? Instead of us investigating the underlying cause or the upstream cause of this dysfunction, we just say, let's squelch the ovarian function altogether and don't have to worry about it anymore. So it's putting a Band-Aid on the splinter while the splinter is still there. So what we've done is we've created a climate in which we have made it extremely accessible and easy for women to think that this is the right thing to do. I had painful periods. I don't have it anymore. Problem fixed. Well, then fast forward a couple of years, they come off of hormonal contraception. And we're not just talking about the pill, but we're going to talk about the pill specifically. They come off of the, the hormonal contraception, which is by the way, synthetic pharmaceutical grade synthetic hormones. They come off of that. And then they're, then they're surprised that they can't get pregnant. Well, it's because there was some upstream issue, whether it was a nutritional deficiency or it was some tissue level deficiency in the hypothalamus, the pituitary, the thyroid, the adrenals, the gut, the ovaries, whatever. And we never investigated it because it was just so easy for us to write a prescription for a synthetic pharmaceutical than to actually go through the process of exploring, whether it's on the physical, etheric, astral level, some, there's some, your body is out of whack. And that's where my practice comes into play. It's like, hey, 
let's get you off of all these pills and let's figure out what's actually going on. Back to informed consent, when we say, hey, you don't need that, that silly period. If that's the only thing we tell a person, that's pretty convincing. It's sort of like pulling the dead baby card in birth, which I'm sure we'll talk about. It's pretty convincing that, you know, hey, that inconvenient bleed, you have to change your tampons and your pads all the time. Just that's whack. That's old news. Let's take charge of our fertility and let's take this synthetic pharmaceutical. The problem with that counseling is it doesn't take into account that these synthetic hormones have deleterious effects across the body. Let's start with the gut. It throws off your gut microbiome, which is a delicate proportion of good and bad bacteria as to simple to over. The issue is that the lining of the gut has about 70 to 80% of your entire immune system. All of those immune cells line the gut to prevent these symbiotic organisms, bacteria, fungi, viruses from getting into the bloodstream and causing widespread infection. So uh, associated lymphatic tissue lining the gut has a vast array of lymphocytes and neutrophils and all of these, these, these cells in there in order to prevent the stuff on the inside of the intestinal tract from getting inside, but they're working. Those cells work in harmony and are actually thriving symbiotically with these bad guys. I'm using air quotes on my end inside the intestinal lining. So once we throw the through birth control, we or, or many other medications, including antidepressants, anxiolytics, etc., we throw off this delicate balance of bacteria and viruses and fungi. That leads to a loss in the delicate orchestration of all of this gut-associated gut lymphatic tissue. And it leads to all sorts of problems downstream, including autoimmune conditions, including mood disturbances, because whether people want to admit it or not, a large majority of your neurotransmitters are actually produced within the enteric nervous system associated with the gut. We think the brain, the gut is a part of the brain. It's a separate brain that communicates with your nervous system. So all of those things are to say, that if we haven't investigated the upstream cause of these other things, and now we're giving some things that are these, these pills, especially because they go into the intestinal tract, we're actually making things so that later when women have been on birth control for many years, they feel like they're, they're lacking vitality completely. They'll say that their hair is falling out. They don't have any libido. They're depressed. They're anxious. They have what we describe as bipolar disorder with these manic episodes or these hyperdepressive episodes. And it's all because somebody just said, hey, why not, why not uh, just not have a period anymore? So we disconnect women from nature. We screw up their gut. We cause all sorts of other issues, not to mention that these synthetic, especially the synthetic estrogens, will cause blood clotting disorders. Um, there's a new film out by Ricky Lake and Abby Epstein. I'm doing a screening with them in, uh, in Austin uh, next week, The Business of Birth Control. And uh, they, they go into all of this sort of the other things that aren't a part of the counseling, like young women dying of stroke, thrombotic strokes, dying of pulmonary emboli. And, uh, and, and that's a problem <laughs> where if we're not giving a person the full risks, benefits, alternatives, and an alternative, by the way, to hormonal contraception would be to teach young women from an early age, fertility awareness methods. So we're in touch with their natural, their body's natural uh, uh, impulses. You know, you get these changes in cervical mucus, you get changes in cervical position, you get changes in your basal body temperature. If a young woman got to understand those things, they could actually realize that there's a, about five or six days during the month where if they have sex and, the, and their male partner ejaculates inside of them, that they could actually get pregnant. Every other day, it's not physiologically. But I didn't even learn fertility awareness methods in residency because we had birth control pills. 
or injections, or we had these implants, or we had IUDs or whatever else. So I'm going to stop there because I think I said a lot, but you can see how this, this is a conversation that is far broader reaching than just that inconvenient bleed that young women have when there's all of these other downsides to doing that, as well as really important alternatives that could help them connect with their body and their natural cycles uh, versus cutting them off. From I, I guess I would suggest some of the so-called side effects are much more inconvenient and may even cause death, but That's right. let's take apart some of the things you said. Let's just hit the calendar real quick. I consider at a high level, the idea that we need more than one calendar. Mm. And I think the least of our problems is how we break up the solar idea. You want to do it with 12, fine, do it with 12. But how do we lose track of that a month was once a month? And that tells you automatically there were 13 of them within a year. Now we can go back to look at how this was defamed and how the disconnection from the actual natural cycles. And I think most of us probably land on the Knights Templar, the big, oh, Friday the 13th, 13 is now a bad number. By the way, we don't put 13th floors in buildings anymore. While the 13th floor is there, we won't call it 13. It's all a bit much, but the psychological part of it works. But let's consider what you were laying down at a time when a system that I call death-based decides they're going to mess with menstruation cycles. Uh, isn't that the ultimate death-based system going to work? This is the be-all and end-all of our recreation methods here, right. granted us through the feminine. And when you're coming in to mess with that, uh, what are you actually doing? And how is it that we can't recognize part of it is we live in an age where porn on demand. So everybody thinks it's quite normal to have sex five times a day. Right. There was a time before where that was not normal. As a matter of fact, the French word for orgasm, as I have often mentioned, means little death because your life essence is being given off from right. you. These ideas are far from us in this cycle, but I, I think the common sense ideas behind everything what you said are lost on folks because what was it, Jason? You and I, you and I did a show where I was noticing there were real concerns about getting treated, and everybody knows how I'm talking about being treated, the push to be treated, uh, and reproductive cycles. And we covered this. A couple other people I'm aware of covered this. And then suddenly on the local news one day, which means if I saw it, every locality saw it because that's how the news works. They said, oh, there's all these concerns um, that you'll be treated in this way we're pushing for. And it'll somehow mess with replication, making babies. And they said, but don't worry. We tested so many thousand men and the, the sperm count is just fine. But here's catch 22. It was not about the men in the first place. It was about the women. And about nine months after the fact, we saw open admissions that this push to treat everybody had in fact been recognized to mess with menstrual cycles. This is the epitome of a death-based system. You mess with the sacred feminine in this way. How do we make more human beings? How does the divine spark get granted when that's been blocked in some way? But Jason, right. you want to add anything? I don't, I don't remember how long ago we did this, but it was certainly since 2020. Yeah, I don't remember exactly when, but making more human beings is exactly what they don't want. And I'm damned curious to see what all the shots that they've been pushing for the past however long now what kind of effect that's going to have on uh, fertility and population in the upcoming years? Well, that was what I was alluding to 
in an underhanded hour one way. But um, do you feel like there's anything else to add about contraception or shall we move on, doctor? Well, I mean, I, I do want to emphasize a couple of things you said about the, the feminine. I, you've covered this on your show before, but just for the, the sake of reiteration, we have been afraid of the feminine for millennia. And if you even go back to, there's a, a great book called Woman as Healer, which kind of rocked my socks off in a way because it gave a historical uh, perspective on how the care of people used to be in the hands of women because they are so connected with nature that they can naturally align with salutogenesis, meaning let's give the body the resources in order for it to heal itself through or, or to grow a baby, get out of the way of nature, provide the resources for nature to take hold of this process, and everything generally goes okay. Imagine before we had modern technology and, and what we thought was these, these they're sort of uh, aberrations, these false senses of control over, let's say, the birth process or conception or whatever else. Imagine how scary it would be for a man back in the day to see a woman with what would seem like magical powers to be aligned with the lunar phases and to grow a baby and to give birth. Like that must have been very confronting because it was not soon after. I mean, we're talking a couple thousand years ago that the care of women in the, the, you know, this Cartesian reductive model took hold. Although that was, that was really several centuries. I mean, it was like a century after it had already started years and years ago where the power of the feminine, which is exhibited throughout nature, was so confronting that they needed to wrestle it from the hands of women. And we need to start implementing means of controlling this process. And I think we're seeing the fallout from that now. I think that for a woman to exercise the tigress within, the, her divine feminine nature is so confronting that it's almost as if like birth control pills, like let's disconnect you from that because that power is unharnessable, pure, sometimes rageful, but often also rapturous. And because it's not controllable, let's disconnect you from that so that you become kind of all out of sorts. And then you're sort of reliant on, on white OBGYNs to quote, take care of everything down the line. I think that uh, what I always tell people is, when, especially couples that are trying to get pregnant, if you watch a woman give natural birth, you, you are experiencing the transformation of spirit. This is the creative force of the cosmos. This is that sacred convergent point of the physical, etheric, astral, and the other subtle bodies. Like That's what birth is. And if we envision conception, birth, and death as the natural consequence of love, the creative force of the universe, it's a direct experience with the, with the divine. There's this co-creative process with soil, life, planet, and the cosmos when, you, when you're with a, a woman who's giving birth. And I can say from our own births, we had our second baby at home just, just above where, we're, where I'm recording right now. If you can sit back and hold space for that, that's the role of the divine feminine in order for this, div I'm sorry, the divine masculine, in order for the divine feminine to just express itself in all of its glory. And if you sit with birth, you see that happening. But that is very confronting to a very patriarchal, hierarchical system that likes to pretend that it can actually control nature. So what you said about the, the divine feminine and the, rested, the, the sort of rested control of <laughs> cycles of nature, that's exactly what I think people like you and I are being very confronted with, that like, whoa, we've gone in the wrong direction. If we could take a step back and allow the feminine to be the feminine and actually honor that and get back to even perhaps a place of worshiping that, our, a lot of the issues we see in the planet would, would go away. 
So I did want to emphasize that because that's a big, big, big part of the of this this quote problem we have about conception, fertility, birth, and death is that we are not honoring the natural process of what's happening, and that's because we're afraid of that dark goddess energy, the divine feminine. I would suggest that the modern system doesn't care about any of that. It's all mechanics, and once it's over, it's over. Right, right, yeah. We lose track of so many things. We're on the face of it, uh, even just like the word months being turned back into moons. It tells you something, but consider the idea of genes, the idea of genetics, the idea of generation. Now consider the word with the same prefix, genocide. Mm. Now that tells you a little more firmly what that last word is going after. And yeah. right now there is a vociferous beast openly rearing its head, which it could not do two decades ago, maybe to the level we're seeing now that is dead set on seeing a lot less human beings. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. The pressures at times are going to be overwhelming, but for my part, it's almost like the giant bean counter of the cosmos everyone's going to get counted here and it's going to be based on the decisions each of us make. But as we push forward, I've had a lot of comments come in when we've done the natural births episodes, people asking, well, first thing, when I go in to get checked up, they always want to do an ultrasound. Should I do it? And since I am as unqualified as anyone could be to even think about answering such a question, I will ask you, Yeah, what do we know about ultrasound now that that we can consider that most people don't consider. Oh, this is a great one. This is actually uh, this is how I'm the heretic of of contemporary OBGYN is that I don't really like ultrasound. <laughs> Go figure. You know, a lot of doctors carry stethoscopes. We've got an ultrasound probe, and we use it every opportunity we can. We can find veins with it. We can look for fluid in the abdomen. We can check every part of that developing baby from day one. The problem with that is uh, is that. The way that an ultrasound works is you send an electrical current to a piezoelectric crystal uh, array within the, the device itself, the probe that goes on the belly. And that electrical current causes these crystals to vibrate. And those crystals are living things. So they are screaming, literally screaming. And the sound waves produced by these crystals are going into all, surface, all, all structures beneath the probe, sending a signal there, and the rate at which they bounce back is going to give you an image of either a solid, a liquid, or a, let's say a dense structure, more dense or less dense. Critical point, just let me interrupt for a second. Those crystals are alive. That is such a critical point. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a whole bunch behind me. I clear them every day. I work with biogeometry. Like this is an important part of my practice. So people that say that crystals don't mean anything, you're not paying attention. And I'll just leave it at that. And actually, just to interrupt one more time, they're the most basic form of life or the most stationary form of life. And in all the older models, just to try to put some gravitas behind what was just said, it is considered by the old occult organizations who claim to have held on to the oldest information that the first form of life was crystals, mineral. And what happened is the plants came later and the proof that they put forward is plant can exist without other previous life forms. So right. a plant has minerals, then animals came. And of course they have plants and minerals. And then men and women came who have all of the earlier three, um, just to make the point. Go, go ahead. Yeah, that's you're kind of getting into anthroposophy, actually. That's the other area that I study that we may not get to today, but 
Yeah, I mean, this this goes this this really should tie into if it's just a physical body and we're not using ionizing radiation, no problem. That's what everybody says. But we have so there's two ways that ultrasounds work. One is a pulsatile fun- function, which doesn't require as high frequency of waves. But then when we're looking for actual heartbeat, like that that early first ultrasound where they say, "Oh, there's a heartbeat," and you see this little flicker on the screen. You put the calipers on there and you turn it to a, a, a color Doppler, or it's, it's actually a high frequency Doppler, let's say. That is measuring subtle energetics at the level of the heart in a developing embryo that's no bigger than a centimeter. We haven't done any human studies, in utero studies, of whether or not this is problematic, but we have done animal studies and we've done in vitro studies, meaning in a sort of a petri dish or a test tube, and we have shown that this high-frequency emission, uh, emission of high-frequency waves, let's say, from the Doppler probe can be disruptive to the embryological developmental process. And if you don't believe me, I want you to consider chymatics. And this is something I mentioned in the notes. Chymatics is a practice, I'm sure you guys are aware of it, but for anybody who's not aware, if you put it, took a tin plate and you sprinkled a bunch of salt granules on there, and then you vibrated that, that plate at different frequencies, 412, 528, whatever, you're going to see these incredible geometric patterns that form. It's as if the salt granules know where to go on the plate without having any sentience themselves. And if you then can contrast that and, and go to chymatics, go to YouTube, search chymatics, you'll see what I'm talking about. You can do this in, in, in uh, liquid crystals. You can do this in big uh, containers of water. These incredible geometric three-dimensional patterns form. And if you contrast that with, let's say, the embryologic development of, of a zebrafish, that they have a very short gestational period, and we've able to, we're able to look at it under a, a, a very powerful microscope and watch these cells divide and differentiate before your eyes with a zebrafish. You could do that with a human embryo, but nobody's going to consent to that because there's, there's certain ethical challenges. But if you look at a zebrafish and you see that, okay, there's, there's two cells, two gametes, one from the male, one from the female, they come together to form a single haploid cell. And then that divides, that divides, that divides until after a couple of weeks, you've got billions of cells. If you watch it happen in a time lapse, you see that all of these cells have a place to go. They're all bumping into one another. They're all, maybe they're saying, excuse me, who knows, but they all have a, a purpose and they're all going to their, their respective locations in this developing zebrafish embryo. The same thing happens with the human embryo. And if we can learn anything from a chymatics and you compare the video of chymatics plates to embryologic development in a zebrafish. It is strikingly similar. So if we can alter the pattern of where salt granules go on a tin plate, who's to say that by shooting high-frequency waves into a developing embryo with all of these billions of little parts moving around and finding their place, forming a neural tube, you know, forming different organ systems and whatnot, who's to say that that same technology of shooting high-frequency waves is not going to disrupt that delicate process? How could it not? I would ask. How could it not? How could it not? Yeah. So doing this 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 practice routinely early in pregnancy, sometimes it's really really helpful. Like if you've got twins, you want to know you have twins. We want to know if there's two sacs, two placenta, or two, or just one of each, right? And two babies are developing with one placenta in the same sac. That's called monochorionic mono, mono di, uh, I'm sorry, monochorionic monoamniotic twins. There are certain implications of that. You know, like it may be helpful for some people, but it, it has become a routine practice to do that. Put this high frequency Doppler, uh, the calipers, right on the developing embryo's heart. And while we don't see a bunch of babies walking around with 
deformations. What does that have to do with the subtle energetic bodies? But because our system doesn't recognize, we're devoid of spirituality and the immeasurable. I'm using air quotes again on my end. And if it's measurable, it's important. If it's not measurable, it must not be important. Well, there are ways of measuring these subtle energetic bodies, but the medical system doesn't appreciate that. So what I always tell people is getting a first trimester ultrasound is fine. If you'd like to do that, that's totally fine. It's not my job to tell you right and wrong. It's my job to give you all of the information though, so you can make an informed decision. After that first trimester into the second trimester, now we've got more development we're probably seeing less impact from these high-frequency waves. We also generally don't use the high-frequency waves in the second trimester because we just need an image. And that's at the 18 to 20-week mark. We do a formal anatomy screen, head to toe. Is there a brain? Is there a heart? Does the heart look normal? Are there two arms, two legs? Do they have an intestinal tract, et cetera? That is the only ultrasound that I, I routinely recommend to people unless later in pregnancy, there are some significant issues that we need to be monitoring, like is the baby growing eight weeks behind? Do we think that there's perhaps something going wrong with the placenta? We can use ultrasound, but we should be using it sparingly. And even ACOG, our governing, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists says, guys, doing this every single prenatal visit is ridiculous. Just check heart tones with even a Doppler device. Although the Doppler is not, not an imaging producing Doppler. It's a, just a, a, an ultrasonic Doppler. Um, and it gives like a even that actually is emitting uh, uh, sound waves, but it's not as perhaps as detrimentally impactful as getting this, this formal image, you know, and using these high, high frequency waves. So if, if you're going to get an ultrasound anytime in pregnancy, get that formal anatomy um, scan because it might actually help you plan for the future. One example I can give is if the baby has no brain, you're looking at what's likely anencephaly, meaning the brain tissue hasn't developed. That is incompatible with life, as you can imagine. And when you diagnose that in the second trimester, they could still opt for a second trimester abortion if they choose to do so, or they let the pregnancy go. There's a likelihood that the baby's going to die in the third trimester before birth. And if the baby does get born alive, it's going to have a very short lifespan afterwards. And again, it's not my job to tell you what's right and wrong, termination or not. For some people, they may prefer a second trimester abortion, which is currently being stripped away by federal and state you know, regulatory bodies. But that's one of those examples, a close friend of mine went through that, where they did choose to do that and they wouldn't have known that information had they not had that second trimester ultrasound. But even without the second trimester ultrasound, generally birth is just fine. You don't need any ultrasound and you're going to be just, just fine later on down the road, having a, a totally natural heart-centered birth. All right. There's so much to unpack here. Uh, maybe I'll take the tack of how I start a decision-making process. And I'll say again, words have meaning. Let's take the word Doppler. It's named after a guy named Christian Doppler, who was apparently an Austrian scientist back in the mid-1800s. It explained Doppler effect, explained the effect of relative motion on waves, originally to explain color changes in stars, mostly binary. I would reference all the work we've done on whether you want to call it chimatics or cymatics. Um, a color change is a frequency change. Uh, this was later proved by musicians performing on a moving train. Everyone's familiar with the Doppler shift as it goes by you. But listen to this. The Doppler shift is a change of frequency resulting from the Doppler effect. The surname is literally, wait for it, gambler. So you start to learn these things. But for everybody who's listening, um, chimatics or cymatics, just think of the word symbol, but 
the symbol you hit at a drum kit, it's always C-Y-M-A-T-I-C-S. It's like a symbol, cymatics or chimatics said both ways. Ah. Now, what you will witness uh, in basically vibration is form being created out of thin air. It's like exactly like the doctor said, hey, man, how does this sand know to make a shape? Well, it's built into the amazing creation. It's just there. But when we begin to recognize that everything vibrates, if it exists, it vibrates. How many times have Jason and I taken on the argument that, in fact, there is a difference when you tune a musical instrument from 440 to 432? Now, you're talking about tuning down eight cycles a second. And there is a marked difference. And I haven't had a chance to talk to Jason. Jason, when I tune my mandolin down to 432, it loses that punchy, high pitchy edge. And that's just eight cycles a second. So when we consider ultrasound, what is ultrasound? It's not regular sound, right? <laughs> it's not sub sound, it's ultra. I would just ask is it possible that when something is forming, you can put ultrasound into it without? at least temporarily retuning it. I don't know the answers to things, but I will state this in the little bit that I have come to accept as correct. Cymatics is the most critically important art that we have lost in this world when it comes to comprehending the creation at some level. But if I heard the doctor correctly, ultrasound has its uses. Matter of fact, it might be a life or death decision that comes out of it. But if I've heard you correctly, maybe it's not a blanket that you get thrown over everybody. That's right. Exactly. Especially when we're not giving, again, with like with hormonal contraception, we're not giving the full counseling. Yes, there might be a benefit to doing this. Yes, you want to know the sex of the baby, whatever. But there's also downsides to doing that. And it's never my position that, number one, that I know everything, nor is it my position to tell you what you should do with you and your baby. But if I'm not giving you all of that information, you can't make an informed decision. And you know, there was a quote I, I had pulled up in preparation for this from a, a paper from Marinek Dabek et al., Epidemiology, peer-reviewed journal, 2002. They stated, a majority of epidom- epidemiologic studies tends to support the safety of diagnostic ultrasound use during pregnancy. However, there have been some reports that there may be a relation between prenatal ultrasound exposure and adverse outcomes. And some of the reported effects, I mean, granted, the data is very limited, but why aren't we asking the question? Some of the reported effects include growth restriction, delayed speech, dyslexia, and non-right-handedness, which, is, <laughs> which may not be relevant wow. to anybody else. But that's like, we're talking about something that we don't understand. So if that, we have, that used to be the definition of sinister was to be left-handed had yeah. the sinister connotation in every old manus- manuscript. If you see right. someone left-handed, it's the devil idea. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm left-handed, so there you, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Can an ultrasound machine be tuned to specific frequencies? The various probes will uh, will have different uh, different. Let's say the possibility of emitting different frequencies and different depth uh, based on like let's say if you have a very obese patient or clients, you would have to use a different probe in order to get a more narrow window to focus those waves. Uh, in a more confined ray, let's say, in order to to get greater depth into the tissues. But there's also settings on an ultra, ultrasound machine, which go from Doppler, color Doppler, et cetera. So you get different frequency outputs and they range up to like, I want to say something like 20 megawatts or me- megahertz wow. or something like that. I mean, 
it, we're talking some high frequency. We're not talking kilo. We're talking mega. So, so yeah, I'll just leave it at that. I mean, that if we're not thoughtful about how our practice might change and how these technologies may have some benefits, but also some downsides, it's because we're not willing to admit that perhaps we had something wrong. You know, like heaven forbid, an OBGYN says, maybe ultrasound's not the best thing to be blasting a little developing embryo with, you know, that's heretics in, in my field. But if it's only presented in one way, then of course, of course, women are just going to keep going along with it. And so it's not the client's fault. In many ways, it's not the OBGYN's fault uh, because they're not looking for that information. They're not, they're not practicing biogeometry, which basically is, is based on geopathic stress, grid lines, and the natural harmonics of nature and how we can get our living spaces and our human corpus in back in alignment with those, those grid lines or the natural harmonics of nature. It's a very simple practice using pendulums and whatnot, but hey, that's not a medical technology, so we're just going to ignore it altogether, despite there being so much research out there about how these technologies may impact human health, may impact cancer rates, may impact miscarriage rates or uterine infections or whatever else, which is what they've done in the mammal world. But heaven forbid we try to translate that into this, the, the study of even more complex human organisms. So we're coming up on an hour here, doctor. Yeah. I'm going to ask you in a moment to uh, give folks where they could find you, your website, I guess you're using, but as we get ready to go into the next segment, do you know what the root behind the word aromatic is? Do you know where it comes from? Why we have it? No, I don't. You don't. Um, I'm asking because I see it here in your notes paired off with Luciferian or Luciferic ideas. Oh, oh, aromatic. Sorry. I thought you said, I was thinking aromatic, like benzene. Aromatic. My, my problem. What, what's that about? Where does it come from? What is it? You know, how do we get it? Do you know? I, I don't. I actually don't know the roots. Please, please share. Uh, I wish I could share more than I do, but I do know that Steiner uses this exact root word to describe the other. And as far as I can do to explain it, I can't do a good job. I wish I could do a better job, but the idea of the ego, the other, the reason maybe, and this is just me trying to do the best to try to frame it so people could think about it. Why do you wake up in the morning with music in your head that you can't turn off that you didn't start? What's causing Mm. that? Mm. Uh, In Steiner's work, uh, aromonic, as I think you said, is, is the root word. And I think that's an interesting word, but there it is. We're coming to the top of our one. So Dr. Riley, please tell folks where they can get a hold of you or find you online. Yeah, well, thank you for the opportunity. Belovedholistics.com is my website. I do see people one-on-one. It's generally going to be for multiple hours. Uh, like I, I encourage people to buy a package of time. It's not just a one-off where we're going to get all of your health concerns taken care of in a single consultation. That's generally how the medical, pra- the medical system works. There's far more to optimizing the soil that I have to work with. Um, not even to mention the subtle energetics of conception, birth, death, et cetera. So you can find me there. You can become my client there. Um, it's very easy to navigate my website. I also have a shop with all of my favorite products that are in line with, with my views of nature in the world and human health. Um, and I have them all listed there from, from water charging and water uh, structuring to uh, immune support, et cetera. I also, for any midwives, doulas, birth educators, health coaches, other types of doctors who want to have an MB consultant, I have a collaborator program for a monthly fee. You can have me in your back pocket uh, on your team in order to optimize the care for your clients and patients. Um, and then I have a podcast, the Holistic OBGYN podcast, which is very, very, very unlike any other 
medically related podcast you've ever heard. I can be certain of that. And we've had guests like Edith Ubuntu Chan, Charles Eisenstein, who's a friend of mine. Um, basically, the, the deepest philosophers as to how we can fix the world, because I believe we, if we're going to improve, if we're going to usher in a new world, it's going to start with how we care for, for, uh, for women, especially the divine feminine and pregnant women. So those are really the ways to find me. And there's, there's plenty uh, to dig through there. All right, Nathan, when this goes live, we will send you an email that morning. I'm hoping to see you in comments where you will put your links. That's typically the way we do it. Okay. It's nice to meet a man like you, highly educated and somehow retained your compassion and common sense for the creation. That is a rarity in this day to the point where even people, lots of times that I meet who have done managed to maintain their compassion and connection to nature. They don't trot it out for fear of getting kicked. Right. We live in a heck of a time, but Jason, anything you want to add? No, I think we're good. Let's, uh, let's roll on to hour two. All right. We're going to come back in hour, hour two. The first set of notes I have here has the harmonic and luciferic ideas. We'll probably open with that set of ideas. Anyhow, I hope to see everyone over for the full hour at crow777radio.com. That's C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. We will open up much more broadly in the second hour as we always do. The pressures of modern online content are closing in. Everything is getting weighed and measured. And, you know, a couple of years ago, do you remember when all of a sudden some tweet you made 11 years ago was grounds for having you fired? What do you think that was about? What do you think is going to happen If I just put out my content willy-nilly and that first hour goes out to a full world, uninhibited, anyone can take it, and someone wants to come make trouble, what do you suppose happens to that content we put out five years ago? And I think this bears recognition for those who don't make content, but we're getting close. Anyhow, with all that said, that is hour one of episode 415 with Jason Lindgren and Dr. Nathan Riley, who is a holistic OBGYN. And we hope to see you for the second hour. And I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. Cheers.
is the enemy of knowing.